The following is a short story written by Carrot Quinn in issue 8 of Rolling Thunder. The title is Madge and Pansy. Madge put on her huge white hat made of lace and beads and said, We're going on a journey. Where are we going? asked Pansy. Pansy was sitting next to the wood stove, knitting a scarf of yarn that she had spun from scrap thoughts gathered from library bookstores and dumpsters behind great and expensive universities. In our country, there are already enough scarves, said Madge, ignoring the question. Come, we are going on a journey. But where? asked Pansy again. We are going, said Madge dramatically, to a fantastical city built entirely of stone, mined from the hills of unreasonable expectations. She then carefully taped shut one side of the tall cardboard box filled with dress-up clothes. We'll need these dress-up clothes, she said, for something rather, and this accordion, which we can take turns playing. The accordion played one single chord always, whether you were pushing in or pulling out, in addition to whatever buttons you might press. Neither of them knew how to, how to play the accordion. Suddenly Pansy had an idea. We can bring my invisible snare drum, she said. On a stand, we'll hide it in your tall cardboard box of dress-up clothes and tie the box onto the rack of the bike on the back of my mic, balanced on my panniers filled with things. What things? asked Madge, changing into her travel shoes, shiny black pointy shoes with kitten heels and ankle straps. Things that need to be taken to the fantastical city. Things that need to be moved great distances. How do you decide which things need to be moved great distances? asked Madge. I select them, said Pansy, and she began to fill the two black bike panniers with items to take along. Checking to make sure the big white lace hat for traveling was on her head, Madge picked up the old accordion, and they walked to the highway shoulder. Pansy was pushing the bicycle loaded with panniers filled with things, and with a tall cardboard box filled with dress-up clothes strapped to the rack in which there was hidden an invisible snare drum. After nine steps, Madge stopped and shouted, Wait! What is it? asked Pansy. What if there's a cat? What? What if there's a cat at the hills of unreasonable expectations? Yes, said Pansy, who was anxious to be going. If there is a cat, said Madge, it will need a house. And she turned and ran back, appearing moments later with a cat house made of foam, which she carried to the highway shoulder. Now we have everything, she said. Who are we waiting for? asked Pansy. They were standing on the highway, no traffic anywhere, and the long arms of blackberry brambles shook handfuls of herbicide-coated roadberries at them. We are waiting, said Madge, for dude in a pickup truck. Who's that? asked Pansy, gathering a handful of big hot berries, muttering under her breath the magical incantation to make the berries pure and non-toxic. There's no such thing as herbicide. There's no such thing as herbicide. Dude in a pickup truck is the person who's coming to pick us up. His truck is big, except for when it's small. He always has room, except for when he doesn't. He got off work and gave his girlfriend a ride home. Now he's on his way to his mother's with a load of siding for her house. He works too much and never takes time to enjoy himself. He remembers when he used to hitchhike, back before he got in that motorcycle accident. Seven surgeries and the scars to prove it. 
Now he feels lucky to be alive and does 500 sit-ups a day, but he's bored. Why is he bored? Because life can be boring, said Madge. That's why he picks us up. Oh, said Pansy. Oh, here he is now. And sure enough, an enormous yellow pickup truck drove up and stopped for them. They gathered up all their things, the bike, the cardboard box, the panniers, the accordion, and the cat house, and ran after the truck. The man inside the pickup truck got out and showed how helpful he was by lifting up all of the things up and into the bed of the truck, like a great crane. They got inside of his spacious, masculine, wasteful yellow truck, and he showed them how powerful it was by pulling back into the highway and accelerating very quickly. "'Where are you two headed?' he asked. "'We are going,' said Madge, "'to a fantastical city built entirely of stone, "'mined from the hills of unreasonable expectations.' "'And where is that?' he asked. "'We don't know,' said Pansy. "'We were hoping you could tell us.' "'Hmm,' said Dude in a pickup truck. "'I've heard about this place. "'I even used to try to find it. "'I can't tell you where it is, though.' "'You used to look for this place?' asked Madge. "'Yes,' said Dude in a pickup truck. "'I used to spend all my time looking. "'That's all I did, look. "'When you're a kid, the path is very clear. "'As you get older, it splits a lot. "'But you still look. "'Then at about twenty-four, it's like bushwhacking in a thick fog. "'That's when I gave up.' "'What do you do now instead of look?' asked Pansy. "'I keep busy.' said Dude in a pickup truck. I keep busy, and the busy makes life pass by like a strong bowel movement. I keep busy during the day, and afterwards the day is gone. I see, said Madge. The three were silent for a moment, and then Madge asked, If you were to recommend some place to get pie in your country, where would it be? A good place to get pie, repeated the man, stroking his mustache. The very best place to get pie... The very best place to get pie in your country. What is the very best place to get pie? That would be in Brennan, said the man, at the halfway house restaurant. I would say that that is the very best place to get pie. With ice cream? asked Madge. With ice cream, said the man. And then, well, here's my turn. If you want to go to Brennan, stay on this road. And he pulled onto the shoulder in his big yellow truck, and they stepped down from its high leather seats, and he lifted all the things from the bed of the truck, one by one, until there was a tall pile of things on the highway shoulder, and they thanked him for his generosity. "'Good luck, you two, he said, and got back in his truck, still stroking his mustache thoughtfully. "'Why did you ask him about the pie?' asked Pansy, after he had driven away. "'Well,' said Madge, "'it's good to know which place has the best pie.' If every single person says that this place in Brennan has the best pie with ice cream, then we can assume that the people at the restaurant know a thing or two about unreasonable expectations. We can go talk to them, and maybe they can help us. That's a very smart idea, said Pansy. She's beginning to see the logic in all of this. As they waited for their next ride, a strange figure moved up the hill far below them. It was a person on a bicycle. As the person got closer... You could see that the person was wearing bright yellow spandex clothing, a bright blue helmet, and rode a bright red bicycle. The person crested the top of the hill and stopped, panting a bit, 
where Madge and Pansy were standing next to their hill of things. "'Where are you two trying to get to?' asked the person, taking off his dark plastic sunglasses to see them better. "'We are looking,' said Pansy, "'for a fantastical city built entirely of stone, mined from the hills of unreasonable expectations. Do you happen to know how we might get there?' "'No,' said the person on the bike. "'I don't know how to find that city.' The person paused and stared over the tops of the trees that had penned in the road. "'I used to look for it myself,' they continued. "'But—but what?' asked Pansy. But the person only leaned on their handlebars and looked sadly down the road. They waited for a moment. "'What do you know? What do you do now instead of look for the city?' asked Madge. "'I don't talk about it,' said the bicycle rider. "'I don't talk about it. I talk about other things instead, and, and the days go by very quickly. "'Now, if you'll excuse me,' he said, as if remembering something very important, "'I must be on my way.' "'But wait,' said Madge, as the rider was fastening his helmet buckle. "'If you were to get pie here, what would be the very best place?' "'In Britain?' shouted the rider, as he passed pushed down his pedals and began to roll away. At the halfway house restaurant, they have the very best pie. And then the bicycle rider was gone, with the wind at his back. When their next ride came, Madge was feeling grumpy. She sat up front, and the driver asked her what was wrong. It's just, said Madge, in our country, no one drives. Everyone hitchhikes, so it's very easy to get a ride, and you never have to wait for very long. Your country seems like a very friendly place, said the driver. The driver was a woman, and she had picked them up in a very fine car. They had taken Pansy's bike apart, and Pansy sat in the back, with the frame from the bike in her lap, and everything else stacked around her. It is a very friendly place, said Madge, but we had to leave it. We are looking, you see, for a fantastical city built entirely of stone, mined from the hills of unreasonable expectations. Have you heard of such a place? I have heard of it, yes, said the woman, but I have never found it. So you've looked, said Madge? Yes, I've looked, said the woman. I spent a long time looking. I looked until I was exhausted. I looked until my shoes were worn through, until my clothes were waterproof with grease, until the cuffs of my pants held dust and sand from all the corners of the world. I looked so hard I didn't sleep. I looked so hard all that I ate was old bagels dipped in water and reheated on flat rocks in the sun. I looked until I fell down one day and couldn't look no longer. What did you do then? asked Pansy from the back seat. I decided to get rich, said the woman. You see, when you're rich, you may not have found a fantastical city, but other people look at you and think that perhaps you have. The woman looked ahead at the road from inside of her fine car. Pansy asked from the back seat, "'Where is your favorite place to eat pie?' "'Pie?' said the woman. 
Well, I have traveled all over the world and eaten pie in many places, and now I am very rich, and I can eat whatever kind of pie I want, and I would say that the very best place to get pie would be at the Halfway House restaurant in Britain. You don't say, said Madge. Do they have different kinds? They have many different kinds, said the woman. In fact, I can take you right there if you'd like to go. It's only a few minutes out of my way. The woman took them right to the gravel parking lot of the Halfway House restaurant, and to show her gratitude, Pansy opened one of her panniers and took out a thing. It was a card with a picture of a cave on it, and coming out of the cave were bats. She handed the card to the woman, who looked at it curiously. Bats fly at night when perhaps we are sleeping, thinking the day is done. This is to remind you that you can still look for the city, although other people assume you have already found it. Thank you, she said. I will hide it away and show it to no one. And she got in her fine car and left. Madge and Pansy stacked their things in a neat pile against the outside of the restaurant and stood looking at the dull two-story building. I am indeed having some unreasonable expectations, said Madge. I think that we have come to the right place. The pie must be incredible, said Pansy, looking up at the faded green siding. The pie must be out of this world, said Madge, taking in the wooden window boxes planted with geraniums. They went inside the restaurant, a little bell tingling when the door shut, swings shut behind them. They sat at a table next to a window, in two brown vinyl chairs. A woman with a very smooth ponytail filled their plastic glasses with ice water that tasted like a swimming pool. What kind of pie do you have here? they asked her. She stepped to the side so that they could see a long glass display case showing pies of every sort, with a mirror in back that created the illusion of even more pies. They were berry pies and apple pies and cream pies that had candy in them and, and chocolate pies and mysterious pies that were covered in whipped cream. There was such a variety and made the idea of pie seem even more incredible, as if they could eat every kind of pie. The pies were so tall and the crust so golden and the slices so well-shaped, it seemed as if they would be more like pie than any pie had ever been before. Madge felt at that moment that this pie would not only satisfy her desire for pie, but that it would stop time entirely, making only this one moment, the moment of pie, into the only moment that could ever exist. And it would become infinite, this moment of pie, and eating pie, and wanting pie, and tasting pie. "'I don't know which kind I want!' cried Madge, in a moment of wild abandon. "'Bring me your favorite!' "'They're all good,' said the woman." who was loosely holding a glass of a glass pot of thin, acidic coffee. You have to choose. Which pie is everything? asked Pansy, who felt as if she had been waiting for this moment her entire life. Pardon me? said the woman. I want the pie that is everything. All these things. The berries and the cream and the chocolate and the candy and... And there is no pie that is everything, said the woman. Many pies are very different and you can only eat one piece at a time. Would you like me to choose for you? Oh, yes, said Madge. And then she turned to Pansy. I think that each one will be everything. You'll see. Plus, plus, you and I can get different pieces and share. 
She turned back to the woman. Oh, can I have mine warm with ice cream? The woman left, and when she returned, she placed a white plate in front of each of them, and on each plate was a piece of pie. Madge's was strawberry rhubarb with ice cream. My favorite, she said. Pansy's piece was cool chocolate peanut butter pie. Oh, just what I wanted, she said. They ate the pie quickly, and when their plates had been scraped clean, they put down their forks and stared at each other. A heavy sadness had been lingering around the bottoms of their chair legs, and now it swept over them like a fog. It seeped into the holes in their ears and underneath their eyelids, and they, they took great gulps of it when they inhaled. The fog filled their insides, and they felt their eyes swell up with big, stinging tears. Pansy hung her head in sorrow. The world became a very heavy place. The woman with the coffee pot came back and took their plates and asked if they wanted some coffee. Madge put her head down on the table and sobbed. She poured them two cups and left a little pitcher of cream. Pansy looked up from a place of deep despair and asked her, We are looking for something. Do you think you could help us? Maybe I could said the woman. We're, we're looking for a fantastical city built entirely of stone mined from the hills of unreasonable expectations. Have you heard of such a place? The woman made a great sigh and her eyes suddenly looked very sad. She pulled her lips tight into her face and looked past Madge and Pansy out the window of the restaurant. Outside, the wind was beginning to whip the apple trees that lined the parking lot. I do know this place. I know this place too well. So you've been there? squeaked Madge. She lifted her head off the table, and her face was red and blotchy from crying. There were crumbs stuck to her cheeks. No, said the woman, and she shook her sleek, tight ponytail. She set the coffee pot down on the table, and a little steam rose from it. I have never been there, and I couldn't tell you where it is, but my lover, she was from that city. The woman sighed again and stared out the window at the wind. <sighs> Madge and Pansy waited for her to continue talking. She came into town one day with only a small backpack, saying that she was from a fantastical city built entirely of stone mined from the hills of unreasonable expectations. She said she was here for good, that she wanted to see forever. I thought she was everything. When she left, I had nothing. And then I began making pies. I made all these pies to try to recreate everything that she had been for me. She had been the chocolate and the berries and the cream. She had been one piece of pie and she had been every piece of pie. She had been hunger for pie and tasting of pie and pie that you were saving for later. The woman looked down at Madge and Pansy, and they could see the weary circles underneath her eyes. I make all of these pies, she continued. I use buckets of sugar and barrels of flour and whole glorious summer times of ripe berries. I use the honey from thousands of bees great wooden pallets of butter, white and blue and brown eggs from dozens of chickens. I make these pies to try and recreate 
everything that my lover was to me. And when people have finished eating this pie, and the pie is gone, they cannot help but feel the way I felt when she left me. <sighs> the woman sighed again and picked up her coffee pot. A man wearing bright red suspenders had come into the restaurant and settled on a tall bar stool. He opened the small local paper and looked over at her for his cup of coffee. She looked down at the floor. I didn't mean for it to be this way. It could have been so wonderful. Your story is so sad, said Madge. She pulled a wadded up hanky from a pocket in her skirt and handed it to the woman. I'm sorry. Your, your, your pies are they're beautiful. The woman looked back up at them, her eyes wet and red. Nothing, she cried fiercely. Nothing can be everything. She clenched her hands together and took a few deep breaths, twisting the hanky around as tight as it would go. And then she said, So, you two are looking for this city. You want to find it? Yes, said Pansy. And you've never been there? No, she said. I've never been there. I'm not sure I would want to go now. Wait a minute, cried Pansy, and she ran out the door. When she came back inside, she had one of her black panniers, and she reached into it and dug around for a minute. She pulled out a tiny white thing and handed it to the woman, dropping it into the palm of her hand. The woman held it out in front of her in the light from the window. It's a tooth, she said. A tooth, said Pansy, to remind you that too much sugar will make your teeth fall out. The woman was overcome with gratitude. Tears grew again in the corner of her eyes, and she, she wiped them away. Thank you, she said. In return, I'll tell you the one thing I know about this fantastical city. She paused. In this city, there are magical talking unicorns. Magical talking unicorns, cried Pansy. Madge and Pansy looked at each other excitedly. It's, it's more than we could have ever hoped for. The woman smiled a sad, tight smile. Now go, she said, and good luck. She turned away, served the man at the counter, and then she looked back and said, Oh, if you get tired of hitchhiking, there's a bus that'll take you where you need to go. To get to the bus stop, we go up the road to the top of the hill, and then left down to the very bottom. Thanks, cried Madge and Pansy, and they left the small restaurant, shaking the melancholy from their limbs and jumping up and down the, to, to clear their lungs of the heavy air. They had decided to ride their bicycle into this faraway bus stop, so they piled everything on top of it. Pansy worked the pedals, since it was her bike and it fit her, and the cardboard box of dress-up clothes was balanced on the rack with the pinniers, and on top of the cardboard box was Madge holding the accordion in the foam cat house. It was a very sturdy cardboard box. Pansy took a long drink of questionable string water to wash away the last taste of pie, and they set off down the road, up to the top of a long, sloping hill, and then to the left, down to the very bottom. While Pansy was pedaling, Madge was playing the accordion, which was broken and played only one single chord always, whether you were pushing in or pulling out in addition to whatever buttons you might press. During the bike ride, Madge played the accordion, and she discovered, to her surprise, that she could also play several other chords, 
and even a bit of a melody that she had adapted from a country song they had heard on the radio when they were riding with Dude in a pickup truck. I think I'm learning to play the accordion, she shouted to Pansy over the noise of the wind and the noise of the one chord that the accordion was always playing. Of course you are, cried Pansy, panting a little bit. You can't play and play the accordion, pushing in and pulling out, without eventually figuring out how to play the accordion. Finally, they were at the very bottom of the hill, at the bus stop, and at the bus stop there were three teenagers. Madge climbed down from the top of the cardboard box, and they leaned the bike against a metal pole, and then they asked the teenagers about the bus. You just missed the bus, said the teenagers. We missed it? You missed it. It was just here, like, five minutes ago. Well, what will we do now? asked Pansy, looking at the teenagers. They stared at her awkwardly and then said, You can come to a show we're having. It's just over there in that building. And they pointed across the street to an old gray building with big dark holes for windows. We're going there now. You could come with us. Madge and Pansy agreed that that seemed like a fine idea since they had missed the bus, and they followed the teenagers over to the old building and through the front door, which was a big sheet of plywood that had been spray-painted red. Inside the building, it was very dim, except for the places that light came in through the window holes. It was empty and smelled like car tires and grease-soaked rags. As they waited, more teenagers showed up until the place was almost full, and everyone was smoking cigarettes and laughing and talking or standing awkwardly like they were all waiting for a band to show up. Pansy walked up to a teenager in a hoodie that was much too big and asked, Where is the band that's playing a show? And why are you wearing a hoodie that's much too big for you? I'm wearing this hoodie because I have nothing more interesting to wear, said the teenager sadly, and we don't know where the band is. We don't have a band, do you? Pansy turned to Madge and asked, Do we have a band? Madge thought for a moment and then said, The Dark Sun! The Dark Sun is the name of our band. We sing songs about coffee and and, and the sea creatures, she added. Yeah, the Dark Sun, said Pansy. We'll go get our instruments. They went back out to the bus stop and returned with the accordion and a giant cardboard box filled with a dress-up clothes in which there was hidden an invisible snare drum. Madge pulled out the accordion and then pushed it in, thinking which chords she would play for their songs. Pansy carefully opened the giant cardboard box, and one by one she pulled out the dress-up clothes, looking for the snare drum that was hidden inside. The teenagers gathered around and stared at what was coming out of the box. There was a red dress with rhinestones on it, and a puffy red bow, and a white sequined snakeskin jacket, and a headband with rabbit ears on it, and there were so many shoes, high heels, shiny flats, Mary Janes. There were also aprons, florals, checkered and striped. There were velvet capes and shimmery capes and hooded and collared capes. There were dresses of satin and tall and soft dresses from the 1930s and a long black wig with bangs and one tiara. Pansy pulled out all of these things out of the box and then she looked up and all the teenagers were staring at her. Well, she said, What are you waiting for? Go ahead. And suddenly, the pile was buried in a writhing mass of teenagers, reaching their arms in and grabbing at the dress-up clothes. And when they had finished, they stepped back, and all that was left was one gold button lying on the dusty floor. 
and the teenagers were so happy now. They grinned in their glittering new clothes. They jumped up and down and twirled around and laughed at each other. They swapped hats and traded satin bows and beaded necklaces until everyone was content with the incredible outfit that they had created. And inside the giant cardboard box, at the very bottom, was the invisible snare drum. Pansy pulled it out gently and set it upon its stand, and took out two invisible drumsticks from her pocket. "'What are you doing?' asked a teenager, wearing a torn pink dress over jeans and a top hat. The dress had stains on it. "'I'm sitting at my snare drum,' said Pansy. "'It's invisible.' The teenager nodded, understanding completely, and turned to tell the other teenagers about Pansy's invisible snare drum. Soon they were all nodding. An invisible snare drum, of course. An invisible snare drum. How clever. When Pansy was finished setting up, they pushed the box to the side, and Madge joined her, holding up her elbows theatrically and waiting for a cue they had not agreed on to begin playing the songs that they had not rehearsed. After a moment, there was a bit of a bird song outside the window and they both began playing. Pansy on her invisible snare drum and Madge playing out and pulling out and pushing in on the broken accordion and singing, too, high meandering songs about coffee and creatures that live deep in the sea. It was the most wonderful music that any of the teenagers had ever heard, and they closed their eyes and swayed back and forth in their brightly colored costumes. In their collective imaginations, there grew, grew a fantastical city, a city built entirely of stone, and the stone was mined from the faraway hills of unreasonable expectations. They listened to the music, and they swayed with their eyes closed, and they imagined this city as Madge squeezed chords from the deer accordion, and Pansy tapped on her snare drum, and they both sang in high, wailing, off-key voices about dark cups of coffee in the farthest reaches of the deep secret ocean. The dark sun played several songs, but then they ran out. Well, that's it, said Pansy. I guess we'd have more, but we, we don't practice. The teenagers would hear none of it. They were shouting and smiling and wanting more, more songs. Just play more songs, they shouted, jumping up and down like they had springs inside their fancy, ill-fitting dresses. Madge and Pansy shrugged and began to put, their thing, put away their things. Pansy folding up the little invisible snare drum stand and putting the invisible snare sticks back in her pocket. One of the teenagers, the teenager that had been wearing such a big hoodie, came up to them and asked shyly, Where are you going after this? Are you on a tour? No, said Madge, we're looking for a city, a fantastical city, built entirely of stone, mined from the hills of unreasonable expectations. I could come, shouted the teenager. I could come with you. The teenager turned excitedly to the rest of the crowd and told them all about the quest that Madge and Pansy were on. We all could come, they shouted. We could help. We want to come. Madge and Pansy looked at each other, excited. How happy these teenagers would be, free. What an interesting journey they would have. Yes, they said. Come with us. Let's all get on the bus and find this place together. The teenagers jumped and shouted and grinned at the idea of such an incredible adventure. But then, one by one, they fell silent and closed their mouths and frowned. I can't come, said one teenager in the back. I have to go to school. And I can't come either, said another teenager. My parents would never let me. 
and I can't come, added another from the side of the room, because I would miss my home, and because I don't have any money. They all chimed in now, one after the other, and I'm afraid of the dark, because my little brother would think I died, and I don't know how to read a map. My, my mom needs me to sweep the floors. I don't have any good shoes for traveling. What about my girlfriend? My sister's birthday's coming up. I have to feed the dog. And so on. Madge and Pansy listened and nodded and sighed, and then Pansy ducked and darted out the door too quickly for the teenagers to notice. They were so busy talking and being disappointed. In a moment, she was back inside with a thing cupped in her two hands. She walked up to the shy teenager and held out the thing. All of the other teenagers fell silent, watching. It's a feather, said one of them. A chicken feather, said Pansy. It's the most beautiful feather I've ever seen, said the shy teenager. And it was beautiful. Near the base were the most delicate soft hairs. In the middle near the fe- the feather was fluffed and spotted. A brown that shimmered with all the colors of the rainbow, and at the tip, the feather was sleek and lightly curled. This feather is to remind you that the ordinary is the extraordinary, said Pansy. For when you cannot go on quests, this reminds you to look at what you already have, because with it and your imagination, you can make the most extraordinary things happen. But I wish I could go with you, cried the shy teenager. Another shy teenager, devastated. Wait, said Pansy, and from her pocket she pulled another thing. It was a round metal bell with a ball inside that jingled. I didn't know you had a bell in your pocket, said Madge. How did I miss it jingling? I stole it from the halfway house restaurant. It was hanging on the door, she paused. I wanted a souvenir. And she turned back to the teenager. This is mine, and I want it. I'm giving it to you to promise that I'll be back, and we'll bring our band with us, and we'll have even more songs because we will have practice. And if you start to miss us, you can jingle it. It won't be very satisfying, but I I don't know what else to tell you. The teenagers stared down at the bell and the chicken feather. Thanks, they said. Pansy put her invisible snare drum back in the cardboard box, which was now empty, and together they walked to the bus stop to wait for the next bus. The teenagers milled about and then drifted off, pulling their hoodies back on over their fancy dresses and grinning to themselves as they walked away down the empty street, filled with secrets and the the beginnings of fantastical new plans. Madge and Pansy waited for the bus for a long, long time, and finally it came in the cold evening and opened its doors and the warm air rushed around them. They put the bicycle on its front bicycle rack and carried their things aboard. The door swished shut behind them, and the bus rocked as it pulled away from the bus stop and into the night. The driver looked merrily, looked merry, and his uniform was crisp and square, and the fluorescent lights of the front of the bus reflected green off his pale face. He looked at the two of them, sleepy and hungry, standing in the bus, clutching a cat house made of foam and a cardboard box and a broken accordion and two black panniers, and he asked them a question. Where are you two headed? Just like everyone else had asked them so far. We don't know, they said. Well, he said, have a seat. 
The seats are soft. I'll take you as far as I go, which is pretty far. You can you can fall asleep if you want. I'll let you know when we get to the end. They nodded and stumbled wearily towards the back of the little bus and sank into two soft seats, piling their things next to them. Outside it was nighttime and getting very cold. They looked out the window. Hot, stale air blew at them from vents. Pansy felt hungry and then drifted off, thinking about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and venison stew with big fava beans in it. Madge felt hungry, too, but she just stared out the window, too awake to sleep, wondering if they would ever make it to the city, or if they would just look and look and finally give up and go home defeated. Finally, drowsiness overcame her and she fell asleep, slumping over onto Pansy, who was slumped against the damp window. Up at the front of the dress, the driver listened to the radio and whistled merrily, watching his head sweep along the dark trees, turning left and then turning right, onto this country road and then that country road, no other cars anywhere. Pansy and Madge woke up. The driver was talking to them. Well, he said, here we are, end of the road, no more road after this, gotta turn around, you gotta get off. They blinked their eyes and rubbed them and stood up, bones creaking. Madge gathered the accordion and the cat house, and Pansy carried the panniers and the cardboard box. They thanked the driver, and he smiled at them. So it'll be up soon. You'll be all right. They pulled the bicycle off of the rack and pushed it out of the way. The bus rumbled and left. It was still cold and dark, with a little gray in the very farthest east. "'What do we do now?' asked Pansy. "'Let's sleep some more,' said Madge wearily. "'In that grass,' and she pointed to a dim meadow on the other side of some blackberries. "'I bet when the sun comes up it'll be nice there, and then we can decide what to do when the sun comes up.' They found a little animal track through the blackberries and picked their way across, trying not to catch the things too much. Once in the tall grass, they found an old log and curled up next to it, leaning the bicycle against it and wrapping their arms around each other for warmth. Do you think we'll ever find the city? asked Pansy. She had been thinking the very same thing as Madge. I don't know, said Madge. If we get tired of looking, if we get tired of being hungry and lost, we can always just go home. Home will still be there for us whenever we want it. If we go home, said Pansy, I can't. I can finish the scarf I was making. If we go home, I could write some songs, said Madge. And every day we could get up and we would be in the same place. They thought that sounded wonderful. But then Pansy thought of something else. What if home is not there for us when we want to get back? What if we've been away too long? Madge couldn't think of anything to say. And, and what if we get go home and get up every day and we're in the same place and it's boring? Madge couldn't think of anything to say, so she pretended to be asleep. And soon Pansy stopped thinking to so much and fell asleep too. And as they slept, tiny insects watched them from the blades of long grass. They're so tired, said the insects, making breakfast cakes from crumbs of hummus. I hope they find it said the insects, washing their faces in drops of dew, and the yellow sun rose quietly and gently lit the meadow, one green black grass blade at a time.